Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I can't fucking wait for you guys to hear this interview today. I got on with Candace not really knowing what the fuck to expect, and it blew my fucking socks off. So sit back, grab a fucking cocktail. We're getting into all things porn, sex, relationships, and adult entertainment. Welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. Have you gotten a chapter 6 yet? <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. All right, y'all. Seriously, I cannot wait to dive into this episode. Candace Horback is a former adult entertainer. She is an entrepreneur. She is a wife. She is a mother to two boys. And I got on to this interview knowing her her bio and her background, knowing like kind of the talking points of what we were going to go over. And I was so fascinated with her story and her intellect that like, we ended up covering so many incredible topics. The fact that her and her husband have a successful, I think she had said eight year marriage through the trials and tribulations of being in the adult entertainment industry. Coming from where I came from with Daniel in my first marriage, you guys know that was like <laughs> me even having to kiss another man on set was like absolutely fucking hell to pay. So this was fascinating for me to hear her perspective on everything. She also breaks so many stereotypes. So if for whatever reason you're listening to this and you heard the words adult entertainer and went, oh, I don't know, and got judgy at all, she will fucking shut down all those judgments so goddamn quick. She is so well-spoken and so intriguing and interesting and has so much to say. I just had an absolute delight full time talking to her. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Let's get into the interview. Candace Horback, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so excited to have you here, girl. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. You are like the cutest little person that I'm staring at through my screen. And I know people can't see you, but you like have this great little like energy light around you. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have my little setup with my baby Buddhas and my goddesses in the back. I feel like you have to kind of create your container. That's great. I love it. Create your container. So we're going to dive into like a lot of relationship stuff today. I just got married for the second time. This is my second marriage. It's a completely different experience for me. So when I saw some of these talking points, I was really excited to like dive in. But before we get into all of the relationship goodness, can you kind of just give everybody a little bit of background on how it is you came to uh, do what you do? 
So I've had the Chatting with Candace podcast for about three years now. It's gone under kind of like a 2.0 revision. I just had my second baby. So I was on maternity leave and now I'm back into the throes of recording, which is really awesome. And being able to have conversations with adults is like <laughs> re-energizing and reinvigorating and very necessary. Before that, I was in the adult entertainment space and I've done everything from content creation, like as a performer, I've directed. We now have an agency that helps uh, manage Mostly, we have some mainstream creators, but most of them are in the adult space. So manage their different platforms and kind of help them look at long-term investing and like long-term brand strategy. And then before that, I was a college kid, went to school for my psychology degree. I've been married. Man, we've been, we're about to have our eight-year marriage anniversary. And he's kind of been there for the whole ride. So we've been together for 13 years and we have two beautiful boys. That's amazing. I love it. I mean, this is going to air once my boy is already here, but I'm seven months pregnant right now with my boy on the way. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a wild ride. I feel like we're like in the home stretch of it and it's about to be a whole new world. (laughs) It definitely is. Yes. Hopefully. So, okay. Sorry to deviate from like what all the relationship stuff we're getting into, but I'm now I'm curious because just based on your personal story, So when you were working in the adult entertainment space, were you and your husband together at that time? Yes. Yeah, we were there. We met like at the very beginning of my career. I started off as like a webcam model. So it was mostly just kind of kind of like one of those like Dita Von Teese like strip shows where you don't actually show anything, but it's like very provocative. So that was what I was playing around with for a while. I didn't like that space. It wasn't for me. It was like very takey. Like I just felt like everyone there was there to like take something from me. And I, I just didn't like how I felt afterwards. And I just kind of felt cheap and I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do anyways. I really wanted to do the bigger movies and the parodies and be on those big sets. And I always looked up to women like Pamela Anderson and Jenna Jameson and Jesse Jane. And I was, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like this powerhouse, like goddess. And that was not going to happen with webcamming. So I started off with just girl, girl performing. That was what I was comfortable with. I wasn't with a lot of men in my personal life. So I, the idea of just like meeting someone and sleeping with them was really overwhelming to me. So I did the girl, girl content for a while. Like I really exhausted that. Most men don't have an issue with that. So there wasn't a lot of like moments for strife or like really having to deal with any conflict yet. We had talked for years about me doing boy girl and it was always kind of like, no, absolutely not. And it got to the point where I knew I had to do it if I wanted to bring my career to the next level. I also wanted to do it. Like I felt this pull and like, this is what the direction I should be going in right now. And ultimately after like years of discussing it back and forth, he was like, my perspective is that I don't want to force you to do anything. I don't want to get in the way of your passions or your career. I love you. And hopefully I'll be here on the other side of it. But I can't promise you how I'm going to react or respond because I've never been in this situation. So it was super honest on his part, which I obviously admire. And I think we both took a gamble on that. And then we were both able and like, and so committed to the relationship that when, you know, obstacles inevitably arose, we were able to like communicate and connect and like not run away from the discomfort and know that our end goal was the same, which was to end up together. 
Right. Oh my God. That's so fascinating to me. So a little bit of my background, my first husband, my ex-husband now, um, obviously (laughs) when we first got together, I was working as an actress, like just a regular, like TV film actress. Mm -hmm. And he was incredibly insecure and jealous whenever I would go on set. If I had any type of kissing scene, like forget about it. Like it was just hell to pay. Even if there was no intimacy on set, it was like, well, why are you going out and hanging out and having dinner with your male co-stars? And like everything was such a problem. So I cannot even imagine coming from that (laughs) background of a marriage, having a conversation with your partner about like, hey, this is the level of what I'm going to go and be doing um, and working through that and having someone support you in that sense? Did you guys just talk about it with you too? Did you go to therapy? Like what was the key thing that you think was able to give you success in staying together? We both are like very committed to personal development. So we're always reading and learning and going to different retreats. We have like different business coaches, spiritual teachers that we work with. Counseling is not my favorite cup of tea. I know it works for some people. I think that the model is mostly set to keep you on the couch, right? And I'm not a big fan of just because you have this like credation, like you went to school and you have a couple letters at the end of your name, that that somehow makes you qualified to be offering life advice for people. I think you have to find people who have really lived it and really emulated it and um, embody it. Like they are the person that should be in a position where like they're guiding you down this path. Like they're maybe one step or 10 steps ahead of you so that they have that perspective. And you don't mm-hmm. really know what kind of mess the therapist necessarily is in before they show up to the couch, right? Like you can watch, like we just watched Shrinking. And what was cool is they really humanized the therapist. You're <laughs> like, they have right. so much of their own shit. So you want somebody when they're counseling you um, or they're coaching you or they're teaching you, you want them to be further along the path. So I think it's really important to know who it is that is you're like letting into that very sacred space. And I think when we're finding counselors, we're not necessarily doing that. We're finding out who takes our insurance, who has the availability that matches with us. And I don't think that starting off there is like a recipe for success. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's so difficult in the way that our society has made it because obviously the who takes our insurance and who works with our availability is so important to so many people and like not everybody can afford it outside of that. So it's like, how do you start to rectify that problem when you're searching for someone to help? So you guys, it was mostly the success for you was mostly for like certain coaches that you found and reading different things and like communicating just the two of you in a relationship. Yeah, a lot of it was just the content that we consumed. Again, it's like, if, like, what are you reading? What are you watching? Um, like, what are you committed to? And you can find people that, like, people like Jim Quick, right? I think he's amazing when it comes to figuring out how to use your mind, or if you're watching Jay Shetty content, or Aubrey Marcus, or whatever. Like, you can find people where there's a, an abundance of free content to consume. You can watch mm-hmm. Ram Dass if you want to go spiritual, whatever your modality is. J- Jordan Peterson, like, there's something for everybody. So there's tons of content and e-courses that you can take. And I feel like that's like a really good starting point because it also instills that you have everything that you need to resolve any of your issues, whether it's health, marital, personal development, feeling loved, like all of the answers are within inside of you. And I also think that's also one of the uh, weak points when it comes to counseling is that they want you reliant on someone else. All the answers are in someone else. And I just don't think that that's fundamentally true. 
Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So when you made this jump in your career to go and do that, and he was like, I'm going to try, but I don't know if I'm going to be on the other side or not. What was the moment that he was like, okay, this is going to be okay. And we're going to be able to like, I, like I'm going to be able to deal with this on my end. I don't know if there was a single moment. It's kind of everything that cascades into your life. So it's okay, this is hot. This is exciting. This is new. That's weird. I'm not sure about this. Oh, now I'm pissed. Like it's all of these things coming in at you. And then you have friends and family that are throwing their own baggage onto you and their own perspectives and saying like, well, if I see it this way, or if it's not for me, then it's not for anyone and not Mm. having any level of discernment in that. So then um, you're like, well, is this mine or is this somebody else's? And I didn't think about the repercussions over here. And I didn't know, you know, certain family members were going to to just fall off the face of the earth. There's just so much social fallout that you have to deal with. So there's that. And then there's really, truly loving somebody and saying, well, what does love mean? What does love mean? Is that control? Is that freedom? Is that unconditional? Is that only conditional? And mm. these are questions that a lot of people don't ask themselves. They just kind of haphazardly go into a relationship, slap on a whole bunch of presets that other people gave them and then wonder why we have a divorce rate of 50%. So right. maybe we look at the model and say, most people are doing this totally backwards. And how can I make it different? Like, how can I make sure that my marriage or my relationship is set up for success? And I think step one is like consciously curating your relationship. Like, what do you want the rules and boundaries of your relationship to be? And it's not to say, go let, and I say let with air quotes, your wife go into porn or do an OnlyFans or have an open relationship. I'm not saying that at all. You can absolutely be monogamous and have a traditional relationship, but it's do so consciously. Don't fall into it and make it yours. And then love in a way that you aren't seeing someone as a possession and trying to control them because to me that's not love that's a cage yeah no absolutely and I think that there's been so many again air quotes norms that get placed on relationships that like well this is the traditional path this is the way we're supposed to do things and now the world we're living in today like has so many different like turnoffs that you can go on to that like 
don't necessarily need to be categorized in a box that work for different people in different ways. I'm still like mind blown, I think, because of my past with my ex-husband of how someone could just be like, yeah, like this is rad. Let's go for it. Let's do it. And I'm so happy to hear you say that you have found a relationship that has given you that so that people can see the total flip side of that coin that like, no, it actually like can work and it can be healthy and it can be totally fine for everybody. Has he ever gone to set with you? Once or twice he's been there for a set. I feel like he had a hard time because like he's just my protector. Like he loves me so very much. And when you're performing, sometimes the scenes are a little bit rougher and sometimes like you need to put more energy into things so that it translates on camera. Like it's very much a performance. And I think he thought I was getting handled a little bit rough from his Mm -hmm. perspective. But I mean, I was directing the scene too. So it was like my set that he was on. So it wasn't me doing anything I didn't want to do or anything that was outside of my comfort zone. I think just from his lens of being my husband and being the person that's like, you know, again, my protector that for him, he was just on high alert. And I was like, no, 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 I was fine. I'm okay. Like, I know this guy really well. Like, he knows my boundaries. It was fine. And then he was cool. But I think that was like the only time. And I was like, and this is why you don't come on set, because what looks one way from your perspective is I'm experiencing different. Yeah, 100 percent. Whenever I would argue with my ex-husband about it, I would be like, Doing any type of intimacy on, I mean, at least like on a regular set is so awkward and uncomfortable. Like they're like, can you twist your body like this? And like, you know, your ass needs to be higher up. And like, we really need you to tilt your neck this way. And there's like lights and cameras and like 50 fucking people in the room. Like it's never sexy. It's never like what it seems like when you watch it on the other end. And I remember he came to set with me one time and It was for the most mild kissing scene. And it was this guy that I had worked with before on a different movie. And like, he was so fucking cool and so nice. And like, he had met my ex-husband and like, I had done the whole intro and the whole thing. And he still created a fucking scene and like blew up on me after about it. And I remember being so embarrassed and was like, this is not it. Like, this can't be the thing. When your husband came to that set that you were directing, did he meet the guy that you were working with? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, so wild to me. Like, I can't wrap my my brain around it. Like, I feel like I need to meet your husband and shake his hand. <laughs> no, he's amazing. Like, I, I mean, he's like the most amazing man person I have ever met in my life. And I'm so, so, so fortunate. So the way that he explains it, I always forget the word for it, but there's this word that means experiencing happiness, like true happiness for someone else's happiness or someone else's Mm. pleasure. And that's how he kind of frames it. That's how he's always seen it is like he gets enjoyment for my enjoyment and he gets pleasure for my pleasure. So he sees me lighting up or being successful or I don't know, just like crushing it. And he's like, yeah, you go, girl. You know, like there's like that goes ahead of his ego or his biology or whatever it is, like his monkey mind, like he's able to transcend it in those moments. Yeah, I love that. That's really evolved and really beautiful. Okay, before we switch into all the relationship goodness, this is just for my own personal like need to satisfy this question. (laughs) I obviously grew up you know, as we all did being exposed to porn, watching porn. And when I first started having sexual experiences with men, you know, through my late teens and in my early 20s, it was extremely performative. 
Like I feel like because of the porn I was watching, I was like whipping my hair around and arching my back and being like, he's going to never forget this. And I wasn't (laughs) doing anything that was making me have the pleasureful experience on my side. Like it was very performative. And I feel from my experience, at least that I attribute that to like, when we watch porn growing up in our like adolescence, it's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be like. Since you're on the other side of that, can you speak a little to that on the difference between what porn is displaying? I mean, I'm sure some types of porn is different, but what porn is displaying for people to consume as opposed to what's like a real life expectation in the bedroom? So porn, like there is a wide range of different types of pornography and erotica that you can consume, right? Like there is very cinematic, very gentle, very storyline driven porn. And then on the other end, like the total opposite side of the spectrum, you have very violent, dark graphic porn. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. So a lot of it that I think that we see is a lot of like gonzo. So just like reality based, like stepmom, or you know what I mean? Like there's like those kinds of d- dynamics. I wouldn't say it's inherently violent or anything like that. I would say it's definitely aggressive compared to how most people have sex. You know, there's usually like spanking, choking and like just like very rough sex. I think it's important to remember that it's entertainment. So if you were Mm -hmm. to watch any kind of film and it wasn't over dramatized in some kind of way, like, why am I watching this? If it's just some lady and she's waking up and doing the laundry and then the dishes and then her kid poops all over her. And like, that's the end of the story. That's like a regular. (laughs) That's that is like an accurate representation of most mom's day. Well, I don't fucking want to watch that because I live that every day. I want something that's a little (laughs) bit above and beyond and can take me out of my routine. And I think that's the same when it comes to sexual entertainment is you want something that kind of transcends your normal experience. And I think you can look at it like competition and get very defensive and insecure judgmental or you can be like this could be inspiring this is could be a cool way to spice up my relationship you, it's a tool and you can kind of use it however you want that being said I think when these conversations come up it's like no one's addressing that this is adult entertainment it is meant for adults it is 18 and up like that is supposed to be who's watching this porn or this type of entertainment Hopefully before 18, someone has established like a very, very thorough like sexual education or like some kind of class or course or just conversation with your parent. Hopefully like those I I wish more parents were more involved with that subject. But so many people are kind of just gliding over it because they said, oh, it'll it'll make them uncomfortable. No, it's making you as the parent uncomfortable. And that's your job. Like, you got to mm-hmm. get over that. Get over your insecurities and have this really important conversation with your kid. Otherwise, someone else is going to do it or they're going to find out on the Internet. So if you have someone who's a minor and then they find this content, they're like, well, no one's told me what this is supposed to be. No one's right. told me that like my body matters, my experience matters. I shouldn't be performing for someone else. I need to establish boundaries and consent. Um, I need to be able to learn to use the word no. I need to understand what is a safe scenario, what's not a safe scenario. Like there's the whole conversation around sex, pleasure, intimacy, like that is so complex. So if you skip that and then your kid watches porn and they're like, okay, I'm supposed to let a guy slap me. I'm supposed to let a guy come in my face. And then that's what they go into sexual relationships with. Is that the porn's problem or is that the parenting problem? And to me, as a mom of two boys, I say that's parenting. That's a failure on the parenting model. Now, do I agree with how accessible it is? Absolutely not. I think that there should be paywalls. I don't think that you should be able to watch explicit content without 
paying for it. I just don't. I think there needs to be some kind of barrier to entry just because it is it is a problem. I don't think that um, minors should be accessing it. Unfortunately, that's just the way that the internet is this the, um, these days. And I think that you have to be proactive in it. So it's have the conversations with your girls and your boys and like tell them what healthy and safe sex is because that's not the internet's job. It's not entertainment's job. It's not my job as a performer. It's my job as a parent to tell my kids what is healthy sex. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Oh, there was so much in that answer <laughs> that I'm like, fuck, we could I dissect all up. of this. For I get so, so well, riled. As, I, I can imagine though, like as you like being a performer in that space, it's like the same uh, on a obviously much different scale. It's the same thing when like, I'll have people that read my book be like, oh, well, why didn't you clarify this? And I'm like, because it's not my fucking job. Like, it's my job to put out entertainment and content that I believe in. And if you're going to consume it, everyone's going to have a different fucking opinion on it. So 100%. When do you think as a mom of two boys is an appropriate time to start having that dialogue with them? Because nowadays, kids are starting to like experience sexual you know, intimacy is like a lot younger and it's happening. Mm -hmm. Like they're exposed to all of this stuff on the internet, younger and younger and younger. Um, This might sound shocking to some people, but I think that the conversation literally starts at probably around two. And I say that because, so my dad was a cop and he was CHP. So he, and he did some private detailing for like presidents in the day and like the Dalai Lama. And he has seen some shit. And he never hid that from us as kids. He wanted us to be like very aware of our surroundings and just like have that spatial intelligence and awareness and how to um, adapt and react in in situations. So when I was super little, and I mean, probably about three years old, I remember him having the conversation about private parts like what are parts for me like what are parts that no one right. And that is that is step one is is introducing consent and introducing like that kind of like bubble of safety. So when my oldest was two is when we started first like talking about consent and that can, it doesn't even necessarily only mean for like sexual activities, right? Like no one touches you in these areas, but it's also, if you don't want to give someone a hug, then you don't have to give someone a hug. If you don't want to give grandma a kiss, you don't have to give grandma a kiss. Those are like the, like the very foundation of what they think they are expected to do. And it's like, no, I have total autonomy over my body. And if I'm not comfortable doing that, then I get to say no. So we taught him like respect my no. And he he uses that against us sometimes in like the wrong context. I'll be like, you need to eat this thing. And he's like, respect my no. And I'm like, that's not, that's no, bitch, eat the vegetables. (laughs) So yeah, it starts super young and then you kind of introduce more complexity as they get more age appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so, so very important, especially with like the amount of just like fucked up shit that happens in our world today, like really teaching them their own body parts and like where's the line, what consent is like so incredibly important. Sometimes I think parents are scared to do it that young and it's important to do it as young as possible in that respect. Well, to I guess like shake it into parents a little bit more is if you give your kids the tools and like the vocabulary to properly name their anatomy, their chances of being preyed on by a predator go down like 80 or 90 percent. And it's because that kid is aware of their body. They're aware of their boundaries. And if something happens, they now have the words to tell another adult. 
So if you're calling it something cute or fun or because you haven't grown up and you haven't done like dealt with your shame and baggage, you're putting your kid in a bad situation. You want your kid to be able to protect themselves as best they can at the stage that they're at. And sometimes that's with words. So start with when your kid, like my son says penis, right? And he says vulva. Like we don't do, oh, you're peep. Like, no, he has his words. And if that makes an adult uncomfortable, that's not my baggage to deal with. That's yours. I'm protecting my kid. Yeah. Preach. Oh, I love that. I think that was so important. And I'm so glad you said that. Okay. Let's dive in to just from all of the stuff that we just covered with you and your husband and your relationship dynamic. I would love for you to speak a little bit on how to create an anti-fragile marriage, which I think is such a interesting way of framing what a marriage can be, especially coming from a failed one now being in like a successful, healthy one. I'm I'm interested to hear your different points on this. So there's the idea that you have something that's fragile, right? And that's easily broken. And you kind of have to see where you and your relationship are on this spectrum. So to me that he liked a girl's Instagram photo. And now all of a sudden it's World War Three in your house or he came home late or he forgot to tell, like, right, like it's something super little. And then that just implodes the relationship. That's pretty fragile to me. Like, I don't want the level of relationship to be that he sees you know, Jessica Alba on something and admires her and all of a sudden it's a fight. I don't want Jessica Alba to have any effect on my relationship (laughs) with my husband. You know what I mean? I want the bar to be a lot higher than that. And then you can have the idea of something that's strong, but something that's strong still, there can still be enough force that breaks that thing. And when you have something that's anti-fragile, it's almost taking in that energy of the opposition or of the conflict and it's reinforcing the thing. It's making it stronger. You're almost like forged in the fire, that kind of idea. So when you have an anti-fragile relationship, I think it's like, a, it's just a perspective that you have on the relationship and the perspective that you have on reality and your goals and having that alignment. And it's like, okay, okay, I'm not going to deny that we are going to go through some shit and hopefully it's till forever. And in between that time, a lot can happen. We are both going to make so many mistakes, but it's, are you looking at those mistakes as an opportunity to strengthen the relationship and to grow from the relationship and to bond over, or is it something that you're going to hold on to forever, which is actually going to damage and like kind of like poison the well. And so many people do that though. Something will happen, some kind of transgression and they'll forgive in the moment, but it's always in their back pocket. And that's not true forgiveness. And there's no way that relationship is going to survive in a healthy manner unless you truly let go. And sometimes you can't, right? Like maybe someone is not in that mindset where they that's available to them, but you have to be honest. And then honestly, that's probably time to leave the relationship. So it's like, do you want to forgive? Do you truly want to forgive and move forward and love? Or are you so righteously angry that you were going to hold on to that and walk away? And sometimes you have to walk away, right? But like discern that. Don't hold on to it and guilt someone forever because I think that's also super bad behavior. Yes. Oh my God. I... Oh, not that I can bring up specifically who it is, but like everything you're saying, just like this one person comes to mind and it's so frustrating when you witness someone trapped in that like victim cycle of yes, this happened to you. Yes, it was horrible. Yes, it sucked being like you in this experience. But not only has so much time passed, not only has the person apologized, not only has like it been rectified, like 
you can still feel your feelings. But like if you're going to choose to keep that in, like you said, keep that in your back pocket and use it as a play card anytime something gets brought up, that shit is fucking exhausting for everyone involved. You're not only going to alienate the people around you, you're keeping yourself in this victimhood mentality that is just tanking your fucking energy. And it's Mm -hmm. like, do you even want to be in that space anymore? Like, is it worth continuously years later being like, yeah, but fuck you because you did this to me? It's like, that's exhausting. People get more committed to the like the transgression than to whatever it is, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or like they get more committed to that one thing. It's why are you choosing that? Because you're choosing it. There is an act of choosing with it. And then there becomes a a position where you start to identify as that thing. And this happens with a lot of people that experience any kind of trauma. It's like now I'm a victim of this thing. And it's like, well, why are you choosing for that to be your identity? You could be anything that you want. Right. You are like pure divinity. Why are you choosing to be a victim? Why are you choosing? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I've told this story before on the podcast, but my mom taught me like the biggest and greatest lesson ever. We were in this big fight when I was like 16 and like, you know, in the throes of my fucking like rebellious era. And I was like, well, you know, I'm like this because dad died. And she just stopped and was like, Gabrielle, this will be the last time you use that as a fucking excuse. Like you can grieve, you can be sad about it, you can be angry about it, but you will not be a victim to it. And it will not be a reason that you treat other people shitty. So it was the biggest lesson to learn that eventually when any kind of trauma happens to you, you get to a fucking fork in the road and you can either go right and allow it to continue to define you and be like, this is my thing that I carry. This is the big thing that's going to like, you know, affect all my relationships and like change the outcome of my life. Or it's going to be the thing that allows me to springboard off of it and created me as the person that I'm going to be in the future. And it will be part of my story, but it won't fucking define me. Oh, your mom's incredible for that. She's a world healer. She's pretty awesome. But yeah, (laughs) she from a very young age taught me that like we don't sit in our shit. We grieve in it. We can grieve. We can like feel, but it will not like be our trauma can't be a reason for why other people then experience trauma down the line. And if more people Mm -hmm. realize that less people would be in fucking therapy. (laughs) Yeah. What a beautiful gift. Yeah, absolutely. So The differences in sexuality between men and women. Let's talk about that. (laughs) So I think it's important to first acknowledge that there are differences because we're like now in this space where everything is becoming this cohesive mess. And I think I think when we're not honoring that polarity that exists everywhere in nature and everywhere in the cosmos that we're kind of like denying just like a fundamental reality of like of nature and how things operate. And we kind of like grew up in this space where, I don't know, it's like we're now, I think a lot of women, and I was stuck in this place for a long time where you like want to be your own man. Like you're trying to do everything for yourself. And I think that that doesn't allow a lot of space for a partner to come in. Like most women tend to navigate towards like a more masculine man. So I think that kind of starts messing up the dynamic within the relationship because you start butting heads. Mm-hmm. I think a good way to kind of establish and like reconnect with like sexuality in within a, a con- like romantic container is like doing polarity play. So having your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, like practice being the dominant, right? And like giving him 
maybe some like opportunity that he doesn't have in his day-to-day life. And then you practicing being the submissive. And maybe that's an opportunity that you don't have a lot in your day-to-day life. And just like reconnecting to that, like that driving force of like masculine and feminine and just being able to play in that space of what does it feel like to be soft and surrender and open up and trust, like have so much trust that he's going to know my boundaries. And then what's it going to be like for him to be commanding and domineering and then also have this like this very extreme presence to he, to where he can see what I want. So I think first establishing like a healthy relationship within the unit. As far as like the differences go, I mean, men are visual. We kind of know that, but some people are trying to like pretend that they're not anymore. And it goes back to pornography where they're like, well, look at this. This is really degrading to women. And um, these women are like being like victimized and abused and embarrassed and all this stuff. And it's like, well, if you look at gay porn, it's shot in a very similar way. So it's not that they're degrading the female because the other male on the other side, right. they're doing like man on man porn. It's shot very similar. It's just how mm. the man, the male gaze goes like they want it loud. There's this book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, and I highly in- encourage people to get it. It's one of the most fascinating books on sex and pornography that I think that you'll ever read. And it's all data driven. So one of the reasons they think that um, men like that over the top orgasm is because back in the day when you had like uh, bonobos or chimpanzees is that it would kind of call in other um, primates and say like, it's safe, you can participate. Um, Mm. There's no predators, so we can be loud. It's like a signal that you're not hurting the female because typically males are bigger and stronger. So it's, oh, she's enjoying this and men get turned on by turning on the the woman. Women, we want to be like, we want the story. So they say, um, they say like the climax in a, in a porno is like when the guy shoots his load wherever it ends up on the female. And then the climax for a woman is going off into the sunset or rain, like right. making out in the rain. So we want investment, right? Because getting pregnant, it's like highly risky for us back in the day, right? Like it was a huge energy expenditure. You're more likely to get eaten by a saber toothed tiger. We want to know that the person that is going to put a baby in us is invested. Like he is there to provide and protect. So we want that presented through a storyline. So women tend to watch to read a lot more erotica where they can kind of um, have that story presented to them and really like feel embodied and then fall in love and they fall in love. I think there's a few characters or archetypes that women like and it's usually like the military rescuer, like first responder, a king. I think there's a pirate like there's archetypes that women are driven to and then men just want to like see the pleasure I think also when it comes to sex in real life with a person instead of just like like whether it's erotica or porn like your entertainment modality it's women get turned on by being turned on it's almost like Mm -hmm. this self-generating machine so for women to be able to get out of their head is so important to be able to appreciate the body that you're in and like find yourself sexy is going to make that experience better with your partner and I think it's so easy to put it on them and I know I I do this with my husband still sometimes where it's like, okay, you're not doing that right. And then I'll be like, I'm not going fast enough. This isn't progressing. Why is it so easy for him? Why is it so hard for me? And then it's just like, yada, 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 yada. yada. Right. (laughs) Instead of just letting go and surrendering and being soft. And that's where I think tying it back into polarity play, that could be really beneficial because you have to let go. You're not in control anymore. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of us struggle with is like, let, is that letting go and surrender? It's like, how can I um, exercise my influence over this? And it's like, you can't. The more you try to control an orgasm, the more it's not going to happen. So Back I think, the yeah, a. the fundamental. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say 
the other discrepancy too is just how much we want it. Like men want more sex and women want significantly less sex. Like we're happy with just like a couple times, generically speaking, and men want a lot more. And to bring a little bit of science, there's this book called Ethical Ethical Porn for Dicks. And I had the author on the podcast and he was saying that like the prime number that is thought for prostate health, a number of orgasms for a man to really optimize prostate health and uh, avoid prostate cancer was 24 orgasms in a month. Wow. And he's like, I exceed that all the time. Like, good for you. I do not want that. Like, that's a lot. I don't want 24 in a month. Like, maybe a a few and I'm good. Um, So there is like that big discrepancy in how much we want it. So then you have to ask yourself, well, could this could be a problem within, within the relationship, right? If our drives are significantly different. So how do we modulate that? We don't necessarily want to have sex when we don't want to. So is masturbation on the table? Is porn on the table? Like, are you going to participate and help him out? Like, I've met women that don't allow their husbands to masturbate allow, which is crazy to me because it's like, you're trying to control his body like a weird mom. Like, that's not okay. That relationship is not going to end well. So you have to kind of also figure out, I don't know, like troubleshoot all of that stuff. So like, the more you know, the more you can get ahead of it. And yeah, it's nothing like he's, I don't think it's cheating, right? Like, I don't think masturbating is cheating. And no. if, are you going to audit his thoughts while he's masturbating? No. So why do right. you care if he's watching porn? It, it's like the same to mm. me. I don't, I don't get right. it. And I think that goes back into how to create an anti-fragile marriage or an anti-fragile relationship. It's like, you talk about those boundaries. Like, is this something that I'm okay with? Is like, you know, what's the line of how I feel around porn and relationship around masturbation. And it's important to have that open dialogue and open communication because when the boundaries get crossed, when they weren't even talked about, it's like, that's no one's fault. That's Mm -hmm. lack of communication and not creating like a safe dialogue space of like what you're comfortable with in the relationship. I'm interested when you talked about going into the bedroom, like allowing the man to kind of be the more masculine and be and the the female being the more soft. Is there a world where you think for those females out there that are more like alpha and strong in their day to day that they need to kind of like switch roles in that respect? So like if yeah, they're I, or like the soft ones that are that are walking around being like kind of like more in that role initially, can they go into the bedroom and be like, okay, this is my time to be like alpha with the guy and he can kind of like create that submissive. Yeah, I think you have to see what rings true for you. They've done studies and almost like the more high performing a woman was in her uh, business life, the more masculine men she chose to sleep with. So Mm -hmm. they would almost subconsciously go after someone that could dominate them because I feel like it's got to be exhausting. It's got to be exhausting to constantly be in charge, constantly be leading the way and like shoulder the burden and not feeling supported. And like feeling like you have to do, do, do and climb, climb, climb. That's not very, those those aren't feminine attributes. And I'm not saying that there's not any, there's something wrong with that because we both have both within us. But to be able to have that reprieve from that and then Mm -hmm. in like a very safe and sacred container. So having your partner come in and like take that weight off of you, I think is really necessary. And then it kind of recalibrates you too for when you're not working. Like you don't have to be the CEO when you come home. Like that's not what your husband wants. He married you to be his 
wife, not to be his boss. So I think it could be a really cool way to just constantly be recalibrating the relationship to make sure that you're not stuck in a loop, like you're spending 40 to 80 hours in that alpha state. So it's probably going to feel like a reflex when you get home. So you have to do something to be able to turn it off. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such, such good advice. We touched on this earlier, but let's talk about porn and relationships, especially from your perspective. What are your thoughts on that? Can it be beneficial? Can it be detrimental? Yeah, I think if you look at it as a technology and and a tool, you can use it however you'd like. I don't think in and of itself it is bad or it is good. It's how you you use it, how much you're consuming it. There's so many X factors that go into is this good or is this bad? Like we like to oversimplify complex things. I think if you are in a relationship with somebody and it is a long-term committed relationship, that it's both of your duty to make sure that that ember doesn't extinguish, right? Like you need to kind of maintain that spice between the two of you. It doesn't need to be pornography, but it does need effort. And I think it's so easy to just go through the motions or just stop having it all together because you don't think it's important. But I think it's crucial to that romantic relationship. I think a very easy way that is safe doesn't involve other people, doesn't involve anything extreme is simply like bringing either erotica or porn into the relationship. So if you want to bring in something like Dipsy is made mostly for females. So um, it's auditory porn. So like it's just like storytelling. And then there's all the noises that kind of accompany, but they have a huge female audience. So something like that could be cool. And they even have like threesome play and it's just an audio track, right? So you're not, you don't have to bring in a stranger and, and make it all extreme. Or you can start with pornography. And I always recommend that you let the woman pick first because usually they're a little bit uncomfortable. So like let her find something that isn't going to be too intimidating and her taste is probably going to be different than his taste. So um, taking turns with that I think is important. And even if you're just watching it to get ideas and you're like, oh, that's a really sexy outfit or that's like a cool dynamic. Maybe I'll pretend to be the butler. Like who knows? You can just get inspired. So if you look at it like that, it's not threatening at all. It's actually kind of reinvigorating to the relationship. Now, if you have a partner that's watching eight hours a day, he doesn't look at you or notice you. That's a totally different story. And again, it's not porn's problem. Like there's something deeper happening. And if you are just blaming the porn, you're not going to fix the relationship because there's something else, right? Like that's just the symptom that's showing up. So it's something else that's happening that's creating that avoidant and detached behavior. And if it's not porn, he's going to choose gambling or alcohol or something else. It's not the thing. So I think that's important too. It's like if you're intentions are to heal the relationship, then don't let your insecurities get in the way or your judgments get in the way of getting to the underlying problem and like the root cause of of the issue. But yeah, I think porn is massively beneficial. I think it's a really easy way to spice up a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious from you being in that industry, do you and your husband utilize that in your relationship? Or are you like, I get enough of it from like the day to day stuff that I'm doing in my career? I've never watched it. Like I've tried. It doesn't work for me. He watches it in his own time. He likes, he's going to be like, why are you sharing my preferences? He likes like a lot of the no face stuff so that he can kind of make it more mysterious in his own mind. I think that's what he gravitates towards. Um, So just like where the face is kind of cut off. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's not something that does a ton for me. Like my stuff is more like role play or in my head or if he's kind of more controlling in the bedroom, then that's the stuff that like really gets me going. 
Oh my God. This has been the most fascinating fucking conversation. I hope you (laughs) take what I'm about to say as a compliment because it is genuinely meant as a compliment. You are like the epitome of breaking the stereotype. Like you are so well-spoken. You have such incredible insight on like really deep, important topics. And you're also in the adult entertainment industry. And I feel like so many people can like put you in a box when they hear that. And you are the epitome of like breaking that generic stereotype. And it's just (laughs) really beautiful to see. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you please tell everybody where they can come find you, where the podcast is, like if they want to come follow you on socials, all the things. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. You're an incredible host. So I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this. But yeah, you can follow me on all socials or Candace Horback. Uh, Chatting with Candace has my podcast and then all of the socials and it's everywhere else too, like Spotify, iTunes, all of that good stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and for your openness and vulnerability. I truly appreciate it, girl. Yeah. Thanks again. I want to thank Candace so much for coming on and sharing all of that incredible goodness with us. Um, I feel like we covered so many fun fucking topics in this interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I love you all so very much, and I will see you guys next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatpreyfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.